0: Hello, hello and welcome to the Lifestyle Entrepreneur Show with me, Sue Parker. I'm super excited. I have wanted to bring this conversation to you for such a long time now. I was joined last week by Angela Foster. She's an award-winning nutritionist, health and performance coach, speaker and host of the top rated global podcast, High Performance Health. She's also the creator of BioSyncing. I really wanted to share how we can bring more of high performance health into our lives. So today in In this episode, we get to touch on PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, mental health, depression, being a prisoner of your own mind, being a mum, and how you can improve your health with a strong enough why. We also then delve into the detail with a three-pillar approach to biosyncing, what is really affecting your performance, and how you can use micro-recovery periods, and we even give you some examples of what those are. We also talk about avoiding cheap dopamine hits like social media, but what to do instead. And also the important link between your nervous system and all the other parts of your body. We also look at how your DNA can help identify vulnerable areas, but most importantly, how the environment and the activities you do matter more. We're going to look at a very simple framework known as the shift into your optimal health acronym. And you're going to have some key takeaways of things you should be focusing on. And the number one mistake that we make when trying to optimize our performance and health. We also delve into how our fat stores as we age and why it becomes more dangerous, the importance of the stress hormone and how it should be versus how perhaps it is, sleep and As if that's not it, you're going to definitely want to listen to the end, right to the end, because we have absolute gold. We start to talk about, is it your physiology first or your psychology? Which one of those is really running the show? Is it your thoughts or is it what you do with your body so that you can really start to impact your daily state of well-being? Well, you're going to love this episode and I want you to hit socials as soon as you finish listening and let me know what your biggest takeaways were. Angela, thank you so much for joining us on the Lifestyle Entrepreneur Show and talking to us all about biohacking or more specifically syncing in this case. But before we get into the mechanics of what it is and how it works, perhaps you could tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into high performance health in the first place.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I've been really looking forward to this. So it's great to be on with you. Um So I started out as a corporate lawyer and uh, that was kind of like where my health decline began, I guess. So uh, kind of in my 20s, I think you're pretty invincible, right? And you feel like you can handle anything, you can do anything, you know, and we were regularly pulling all nighters and weekends of work just to get the deal done. Um, And then sort of in my late 20s, I'd I'd been having a series of gynecological problems. But then in my late 20s, I was diagnosed with PCOS. And that was my first foray into the world of biohacking because I was prescribed a drug called metformin, which is great, um, seemingly in many respects. I mean, it has some downsides for longevity. It's used by quite a few biohackers um, and it helps to control blood glucose because there's a link between hormonal issues like PCOS, which really at their core, uh, PCOS at its core is a metabolic disorder. And so I wasn't able to take metformin, I felt very unwell on it. Um, and so I was started to search around, how can I get this under control and started reading books and things and realised that nutrition was a key thing in this that I hadn't sort of looked at before. And I'd always been pretty healthy, you know, like cycling into work, going to the gym, things like that. But I hadn't paid lots of attention to my diet. And then at that time, I decided to go to For Partnership. Um, and I had had some surgery cause I had PCOS and endometriosis. And I'd been told that, you know, the next sort of six months were my best time to get pregnant. So it felt like everything was happening at once. And, um, As it happens, I thought, well, I'll shoot for the two goals and see which one. If you aim high, you're not going to be too far away, even if you don't get them. But anyway, the long and the short of it is that I was very lucky. I ended up making partnership when I was eight months pregnant, which seems amazing. Everything was going well, but nothing really sort of prepared me for what was to come. So I then struggled with postnatal depression. I had my first two kids under the advice of my gynecologist close together um, to, to sort of stop that regrowth of endometriosis that can inhibit fertility. So by the time I was due to go back to work, I was three months pregnant with my second child. Uh, and I was sort of Googling what, what is prenatal depression? Is this even a thing? Um, and anyway, I had uh, postnatal depression after both of those pregnancies. And then um, after I had my daughter, it became pretty bad, uh, very entrenched. And I was then diagnosed with major depressive disorder. Uh, and I was having sort of bipolar episodes. So it was a, I was really struggling with my mental health. So at this point, it was kind of like my mental health, my physical health. Um, had taken a toll, and it culminated in hospitalization with double pneumonia. Um, At first, I was sort of rushed through for a CT scan because my lymph glands were so big uh, on the x-ray that they thought potentially there was lung cancer. Um, It turned out that it was viral and bacterial pneumonia, and I was neutropenic, so my white blood cell count was pretty much 0 so I was really fighting for my life at that point, and that's when I had, I suppose what you could say, a defining moment, we'll put it that way, where I really felt like I've got to do something about this. And I think the the sort of thoughts of suicide and things that had pervaded my mind, and really it was more about just wanting to turn the thoughts off at this point, I was so kind of entrenched in depression, um, and I couldn't see a way out, but I didn't want to leave my family. And I think that then took, you know, and leave my kids as the, you know, the mum who took her own life. It just seemed awful. So I'd sort of created this prison in my own mind. And then when I was hospitalized, there's no way to have to run, right? You can't run anywhere. You're in hospital with yourself. And I remember looking at photos of my children and just feeling this overwhelming sense of love and also responsibility and a, and a strong desire to be there for them and see them grow up. And that was when I made a decision that I was going to get well. And amazingly, within 48 hours of me making that decision, my blood work started to change, and my white blood cell count started to rise. And, you know, they thought I was going to be intubated and put into intensive care that turned out not to be necessary. So That was really where high the concept, and we can talk about how I created it, but the concept of high performance health was born. um, You know, in those early days when I made that decision of I'm going to get better than well, I'm going to be in the best physical, mental, and spiritual shape of my life, Uh, and and it's been a
0: journey ever since. Wow, that that's that's a hell of a lot going on there, and to come out of the other side of it positively is is you know incredible. It's, it's quite magical, isn't it, how these little children that you bring into the world can just sort of almost lift you from any state so long as, you know, you're open to the loving idea of that. So you you now have a business, High Performance Health, and you specialize in biosyncing. I think now's a good idea, a good time to talk about what is that? Sure. Yeah, I'd love
1: to. So when, I mean, when I, if we, if we go back sort of to my journey, I had had high performance, right? I'd had tremendous success as a lawyer. Um, and then, uh, when I came away from that and, and focused on my health, I was able to get my health back on track. But I was not working. I was in a privileged position where I didn't need to work at that point. And so I was really fully focused on my health. And so I started to think about how can we bring these two worlds together? How can you have high performance and optimal health? Because everything I'd learned in the city was all around just sort of pushing yourself, right? And that's the fast track to burnout. What I realized was when you start to study the behaviors and habits of really successful people who've taken it to, you know, Um, exponential levels really and entrepreneurs you see that actually health is a focus a very strong focus and that it is actually the foundation of sustained high performance and that's when I realized I could bring these two worlds together and that's when I started looking at things like biohacking but a lot of what I was following then was around male influencers it wasn't really designed around the sensitivities of the female body Um, and so I kind of went on a bit of a hunt right exploring the research started my podcast started interviewing experts um, scientists Um, to really understand how we could apply this to women um, and what the kind of unique sensitivities around women's hormones were. Uh, And that's when I developed the concept of biosyncing, which is really about syncing. It's sort of a three-pillar approach in terms of syncing with your female physiology your bio-individuality, and also your most empowered future self. So there's kind of future self psychology as part of that as well. And we found that to be tremendously successful for people who take the program and really, really want to elevate their health
0: for high performance. You touched on um, hustle culture there. You said, you know, there's this expectation to work long hours and hustle. I mean, we talk, we listened to Elon Musk say, you know, if everybody else is working 40 hours, you should be working 100 hours to get ahead. But then you acknowledged that CEOs or people at the highest level, really successful people, are not working to burnout. they are maintaining their health. Which comes first, hard work and high performance or health. I think if you want to sustain
1: your high performance, you're gonna need to look at your health, right? Otherwise it's gonna force you into a position where like me, you end up spending far more time than you bargained for on getting your health back on track. And it's very difficult to get it back on track often. Um, I think that the important thing here is I'm definitely not shying away from hard work. I think to build a business, we need to be realistic. It takes um, a lot of dedication and energy. I think what's clear to me as I've looked at it and worked with so many people is that we need to, and this is why I talk about biosyncing, is syncing with our biology, is actually understanding that for every time that we are putting out effort and energy, we're expending it, we're going to need to match that with some form of recovery. And these can be micro recoveries throughout the day. That helps us to be more efficient, more creative. So we know that, like when we look at flow, for example, which uh, Mihai Chik sent me high was the kind of Godfather of flow. Stephen Kotler's done, who's been on my show, he's done some am- amazing work with. Uh, he founded the Furry Research Collective. But when we look at flow states, for example, yes, McKinsey's research shows we're five times more productive when we're in flow. And so in theory, if we could be in flow all day on a Monday, we don't need to come back for the rest of the week, right? How amazing would that be? But actually flow also involves a lot of energy expenditure. And so we need to recover. And there are various things that we can do. And that's really part of biohacking, biosyncing, is that how do we optimize that recovery so that we can come back? And ultimately, from a mental health perspective, we want to come back, not just resilient, but anti-fragile, right? Where we're bouncing forward, we're stronger than ever before, and we can take those challenges because entrepreneurship, as you know, is uh, an exciting journey, but... We want to have hands up on the roller coaster, right? Because it is a roller coaster, and like all pe- all things in life, obstacles come our way.
0: Absolutely. So, in terms of recovery and that rest, you talked about a, a time for recovery. What kind of things do you do to recover? Is it, you know, resting? It's like having a nap or something. Is it meditation? What kind of things would you say fall into the recovery phase? So I think
1: um, I think it can be things like meditation, as you say, I think they're really, really important. I think sauna's great. I think cold exposure can help actually sort of optimize things like dopamine and get you really uh, inspired and motivated for the day. Um, but I think when we're looking at the um, there's some interesting research, you know, for example. NASA did some research around um, employees who were napping Uh, and what they found was employees who had a short nap I think it was around 30 minutes were 35% more productive than their peers who didn't. So I think often we can say I don't have time for that, right? I'm so busy and we just go busy, 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 busy but actually are we making the most of what we're doing in our working hours, right? When we're putting that focus and attention. Um, Similarly, when we look at some research that was done by Microsoft and they put EEG caps, so they're kind of scanning the brains of their workers and they look at individuals who go from one meeting to the next to the next to the next what we see in that situation is an elevation in beta brainwave activity now beta brainwaves when we're listening to a podcast like this for example we're concentrating we're trying to take information in and think about how can we apply that in our own lives so we're going to have beta brainwave activity But when we go away and think about it and reflect on it, we want to be creative about how we might share that information, how we might utilize it in our day-to-day. We need to be able to transition and slow those brainwave states down and maybe move into a bit more of an alpha state and things like that. Now, what happens is if we just keep going from one thing to the next to the next, it causes stress because the beta brainwaves get faster and faster. And and Microsoft has shown that in their research. So just by taking a 10-minute break between meetings... And in that situation, what we want uh, can, can improve the, the brainwave activity measurably. But in those things, what we might think about doing is what's relaxing for us. Is it stepping outside and getting some natural light, right? And taking a few deep breaths, for example, is it going for a short walk? Is it grabbing a kettlebell that's under your desk and just swinging it and getting the blood flow going? It's different for every single person. It could be doing something like resonance frequency breathing. I think the key thing here is that it should be something that detaches you from what you were doing to allow the brain to recover. And it shouldn't be a new engagement, particularly something that's going to give you a cheap form of dopamine. So an example would be social media, right? When we go on and we check, have I got, have I got any responses? Have I gotten likes? You know, how's this thing doing? Um, that, that really is just facilitating cheap forms of dopamine and, and wants you to go back again and again. It's positively addictive and it doesn't last. And what it can do is kind of deplete that dopamine pool, if you like, over time. Um, so we want to look, when we're looking at dopamine for things that intrinsically motivate us, but when we're looking at recovery, it's important that it's almost like, it doesn't have to be, I guess, boring, right? But it needs to be less stimulating. It needs to be relaxing, um, and I think that's really, really important. So if you can work in for people listening, how just thinking about how can I work in some of these micro recoveries throughout my day, um, that will help to improve your performance. And as part of our program, we look at heart rate variability as a metric. So Heart rate variability is basically the variation between heartbeats. And we can see a lot about an individual's nervous system by looking at the variations. And so, high heart rate variability would indicate that that person's nervous system is functioning well. There's good engagement between the sympathetic, um, which is kind of associated more with the fight and flight, and the parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest when heart rate variability starts to go down, right? And so it lowers and lowers. And what we see is the heart becomes more rhythmic in nature. That's because it's sensing there is disorder either outside of the body or in the form of our thoughts, our environment. Uh, and, And when we see that depression in heart rate variability, Uh, We're not functioning as well. And so what we see is when people take micro breaks, it actually helps to move them into the green on the chart. We use an ECG grade medical device to to track this. And we can see the habits that they do and the actions and how that's impacting their nervous system and how they feel and how that in turn, actually, those daily habits are also impacting their sleep, which we can talk about in a moment if you want to. Um, But I think it's really important and just bringing yourself back into residence. Uh, You'll have better productivity. You'll have better performance. But importantly, you'll also be helping to optimize your health. Wow so
0: bringing in micro recovery periods is quite important I suppose it's noticing those sorts of things that that help you to re-energize that to fill you up you know versus the things that drain you what is I believe you look at a person's DNA in your program what's what are you looking for in the DNA to determine what the program looks like for them?
1: Yeah, we have. So sometimes we have looked at DNA um, in the past. It's not something I look at as regularly now because I think I've over time become more interested in what's happening in real time. So we have our genetics and I think it can be helpful. So for example, if somebody is wanting to understand, am am I sensitive to carbohydrates, for example, then we can look from a genetic perspective. But what we're learning more and more now is that the gut, our microbiome plays a part. Our environment plays a part. It's the expression of those genes, the epigenetics. But also importantly, we have more... bacterial cells right than we do uh, human DNA so that also plays a part and so I think it's about really understanding our bioindividuality, where we are right now and also the seasons in life right so we go through as you know like when you've got a young child you're super super busy you're bit sleep deprived the amount of strain and things that you can take on is going to be different to when that child is older or perhaps has left home so I think that um, really when we talk about biosyncing it's about understanding where you are Um, what goals you have right and understanding what season of your life you're in and how we can achieve high performance within that
0: that's really valuable I always yeah I always think about the seasons of life and but we always think we can have the same level of goals no matter what's going on around us but the reality is like you've said if you've got young children if you've got older children if you have no children it's all very different for those different seasons so I've not really thought about that okay so it's less about your DNA although that might indicate some intolerance it's more about how it behaves in the environment and the things that you're putting into your body and things that you're exposing your body to like natural light like exercise that sort of thing yeah so i think when you look at dna not so much intolerance but just understanding
1: right where are uh the areas they're called snips right of your genetic material where might i have potential vulnerabilities that I don't necessarily want to become expressed and how can I protect against those so for example there's one particular SNP that's been associated with your risk of developing Alzheimer's right APOE4 so if, if you know that then maybe you're going to apply and it helps people be compliant with behaviors to understand that maybe actually I do really need to focus on my sleep even more so and I think everyone should focus on their sleep but I want to make sure that I'm optimizing for my brain, that I'm clearing and detoxifying things like beta amyloid plaque that can build up. You know, Uh, maybe I'm going to be more focused on the fact that avoiding alcohol or limiting it is better for me because I understand from that. But, you know, doctors often will also take family history when they're looking at things. And I think these things are important. Um, For some people... that sort of information level actually just stresses them out. And they're like, you know what, I'd rather know. I think very simply what we want to do is to optimize the pillars. So I kind of, what I put it into is how can we shift into optimal health for high performance? And that shift is an acronym. So it's easy for people to remember. So if you want to make that shift, then you need to optimize your sleep. You need to optimize your hormones and HRV. So when we're looking at hormones, HRV is reflecting some of that cortisol, for example, and stress. So we have the hormones of stress, we also have our sex hormones. And then the I is the insight. So that's the centerpiece. What are you gonna gather? What blood work are you gonna do annually to make sure you're on track? Maybe you've looked at your genetics once, you don't need to do it more than once to understand where that is. You do gut testing, things like that. But also, what are you tracking that's really easy through wearables, for example? Or quite simply, if you don't have the budget or you prefer not to go into that detail, like what are you tracking in terms of journaling? How do you feel each day? So that's the insights in the, in the middle so that we have data and we can measure from there. And then the F is fuel. And the reason I say fuel as opposed to just food is that we fuel our bodies in multiple ways. So I have another acronym here that will just help people. And When you're thinking about fueling your body, think of flow. Flow means food, light, oxygen, and water. So we're looking at, are we optimizing our nutrition? Are we optimizing, as you mentioned earlier, our light exposure, both in terms of what we're getting in morning light and how we're limiting light in the evening? Are we op- optimizing oxygen? Are we breathing correctly? You know, Are we all hunched up and stressed? Or are breathing in a way that helps to calm our nervous system, right? And puts us back into control. And then water really is about the hydration in terms of making sure we're getting enough fluids and also enough minerals. And then the last part is the tea. And that is about training your mind and body. We often think about going to the gym and doing a workout, but we want to be training our body throughout the day, having those micro recoveries and also training our mind for high performance. It takes resiliency. It takes focus um, and, you know, meditation and mindfulness behaviors are actually practices should I say are part of that so that is kind of how do we make the shift Um, and when we actually have a quiz that people can score themselves on each area and get a personalized report so they can understand and that will then help them and we offer a free call so they can understand well where am I in terms of shift and what area of my health do I need to think about first of all because I always say to people don't try and do everything at once right we know that if we break those habits down and I can see atomic habits behind you I'm a big fan of James Clear's work you know, getting 1% better every day. He's illustrated in that, you know, you can be 37 times better by the end of the year. So let's break it down small. So the first thing is understanding what is your domino? What is the one thing that you can begin that's going to put the rest of shift so much easier to put into practice, right? Or it may even make other things unnecessary. So what is that one thing? It might be that you think, actually, you know what, if I was just to go to bed earlier, I know I'm going to eat better the next day. I'm much more likely to get to exercise and get up to go to the gym for example and that's your domino alternatively it could be that i'm not compliant and i just know this about me when i'm not working out so maybe training your body and using that using your physiology to access the other areas is going to be the thing because now you're more tired at night you're more likely to go to sleep you're gonna have better control of your mind and more likely to meditate because you've got the endorphins first thing in the morning so finding that domino i think is key and that's what we try to help people do
0: yeah I love that so let's just go through that shift again so we've got S is for sleep Mm -hmm. H is for hormones hormones and HIV yeah yep I is for insights so like tracking whether it be a device um a Fitbit or something or whether it be journaling how you feel F is for fuel Mm -hmm. which is like the food but also the oxygen the water the other things that you talked about T is for training your mind and body that's correct yeah I love that okay um It's interesting because I've actually identified that exercise is one of my big things. So, if I want to feel energized in the day, I have to get up and move my body. So, it's become basically a, a must do, a non negotiable. It must move your body because then I know I'm more productive in work. So, it's interesting finding your domino. I would be very keen to hear our listeners work with you perhaps to understand what is it that's working for them. Is it going to be the sleep? Do they need to train? Do they need to address their nutrition or how much water they're taking? All that kind of stuff. Okay. So, In Having worked with so many people, what there's so much conflicting advice out there, isn't there? I mean, you've touched on it. You can go down a route with a doctor and you can investigate this. I was talking to somebody yesterday who they wanted to prescribe antidepressants, HRT and something else um, just to help them through a period where they were complaining of feeling lethargic and tired late in the evening. And I guess really you've got all this contradictory advice and you've got doctors prescribing things. What's the number one mistake that you have seen women come to you with that they're doing that they feel like is helping them or that they've made the right choice, but actually it's having more harm than good? I really, I mean, there's such
1: a great question. There's so many, but I think a really common one that I see is as women, we're very prone to beating ourselves up, right? And we take, I I agree with taking 100% responsibility. I really do. But I think often we can really be so hard on ourselves. And so what we jump to then is how can I do more? instead of what can I take away? and I think that you know saying no needs to be part of it because we accumulate through life more and more responsibilities as we have children our partners our work we get promoted or you know elevating our businesses whatever it is and I think understanding and learning to say no is so important because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves so a very common thing that I'll see with particularly with women in their 40s is that as they're going through hormonal changes they may start to gain some weight and we know that fat distribution tends to change around that period right as the Hormones are beginning to drop off. And so it moves from the hip and thigh area into more of the abdominal area, which is inherently more risky. It's more of a male uh kind of prototype. Um, and it's it's more risky because that visceral fat is around the organs. So when women see this, they immediately sort of jump to, I must do more, right? And so they start layering in more and more exercise, which is putting the body under stress. And if they were understanding and looking at things like heart rate variability. They would have that data to understand, actually, maybe I'm just pushing myself too hard. Maybe less is more. Maybe there isn't enough recovery and really understanding the uniqueness of the female body and how to exercise in a way that is supportive of their female physiology. And when you do that and it's much more targeted, then you can get the results and you can bring your metabolism back into track. So I think that's a really common one that I see is just trying to load on more because you feel like it's it's kind of bizarre. You feel like you're not coping with everything. So you're self-critical. And so you think I must do more. Um, actually, it's about often doing less.
0: That's, yeah, that's always really valuable. I do that every time we do a goal setting session. It, the first thing is, well, what are we going to take away that we've been doing that isn't serving us, that's either hindering us or or just de- distracting us in the first place. But you're right. I see that a lot when working with women entrepreneurs as well. That concept of I'm not good enough. I need to work on that. I need to work on that. I need to work on that. And it's like, by the time you've finished a session, we've got 10 more things you want to work on for yourself when you're actually somebody described to me as, as diminishing your weaknesses and just using your strengths more and and advancing in that area. I just want to go back to this, this heart rate. You t- you talk about it a lot. Heart rate. Variability. Variability. So, and this impacts on your metabolism. Uh, to a degree. Yeah. I mean, it's all linked. Okay. So the heart rate variability, what, what's the, what are we, what are we aiming for? So are you saying a high heart rate is some, something that heartbeat is is quite fast or what does yeah
1: so there's there are two things here right one is heart rate and Mm -hmm. one is heart rate variability so we've got your resting pulse which many people know right you can put do a finger pulse uh test on your wrist generally speaking the lower that is right the better your health right because the heart what's that demonstrating is that your heart is having to work less hard so you're somebody who's fit um and healthy Heart rate variability is different. It's looking at the interbeat variability. So if we take somebody who has um, a heart rate of, say, 60 beats per minute, we would not expect the heart to beat like a metronome. It wouldn't be rhythmically one beat per second. That's not what you'd see. And you've probably seen if you ever watch a TV program where someone's more hooked up to a monitor in hospital, the graph's kind of going really up and down. That is heart rate variability. And higher heart rate variability is, generally speaking, correlated with better health. So, And, and, and the heart tries to be more rhythmic in nature uh, when, when there is kind of disorder, if you like. Now, how that is very, very individual to you because part of it is genetic, part of it is lifestyle, and part of it is age. So we don't have control over all of those variables. Um, and we can't necessarily know these, these HRV monitors that have come out, things like Whoop or Fitbit, um, I don't know if Fitbit does it, but Aura Ring, for example, and then we use um, some Finnish technology when we're looking at it on a daily basis through FirstBeat. Um, These are quite recent and so we probably don't know what our heart rate variability was when we were younger. So we can't say has it deteriorated dramatically. But what we can do is over a couple of weeks is get a baseline for where we are now. And then we can start to understand what behaviors improve it. And we shouldn't be comparing against other people because everyone will have their individual. And I think it, you know, it's, it's wrongly competitive to do that. Just look at your own and see, is it dropping? Because if it's dropping by about 20%, you're not seeing enough recovery. And if you're dropping by 40%, you're gonna really need to pull out some stops and actually improve it. Um, and that can help that what the reason that we use it is it's very helpful in people understanding their anxiety, their energy levels, their stress and avoiding things like burnout.
0: Okay. It sounds counterintuitive because you would expect that the more rhythmic, the more consistent it is, that maybe that means a calmer state. But what you're actually saying is it's quite the opposite. It should alternate and it should be varying. So that's quite interesting. But what you're saying is by doing the readings, you can then address your behavior to introduce the rest periods and things like that.
1: Exactly. And you can see on a daily basis what's happening. Because if, for example, we did a cortisol test with with you, we would just be getting a snapshot of that day. And we'd want to take more than one measurement to see what was happening over the course of the day, whether your cortisol rhythm looked like it should do, which should be high in the morning and then coming down in the evening as you start to produce melatonin. But that's just a snapshot of one day. By having access to heart rate variability, we can see what's going on on a, on a continuous basis. And so we can take some assessments, for example, with you, Sue, and see, okay, maybe you're waking up in the morning, you're not feeling really energized. Why is that? How is what you're doing in your day now being mirrored at night? Because we go through these old tradian cycles, right? So we know that a sleep cycle is around 90 minutes. We also have these rhythms and cycles during the day. So we can see, are you getting enough recovery? Are you constantly in the red all day and elevated? Often that will then be reflected in sleep. And so you're not getting that deep rest and recovery and we can improve it.
0: Yeah. So cortisol is our stress hormone for those who are not familiar with the term. Um, And then that reduces over the day so that in the evening, you're ready to have a relaxing sleep. But if it's increasing, then that's likely to keep you awake at night and and intervene with your sleep. So over a long period of time of high levels of cortisol and poor sleep, we know can lead to burnout. What sort of other issues can we expect, you know, in terms of longevity to be impacted by if we've got high levels of cortisol in our blood?
1: So if we've got high levels of cortisol, over the longer term, our body will try to sort of protect itself. And so we'll start to produce less. And sometimes when people have got a disrupted rhythm like that, what they'll find is that they find it really hard to wake up in the morning. They find it really hard to get out of bed because they haven't got a robust cortisol awakening response anymore. You can only go at it for so long before your body's going to really just say, you know, I need to shut down a bit um, and try and help you, force you into recovery because you're not listening to the signs that I'm giving you. Um, so that can happen. Sometimes people will have a dysregulated rhythm. So they actually, uh, it's low in the morning and it's rising at night. The issue with that is cortisol has an inverse relationship with another hormone. This is why the H in, in shift is so important. We have melatonin. And if Cortisol is high. Melatonin, by definition, is low. they inverse. So if we're stressed in the evening, we're not going to be producing as much melatonin. Melatonin helps with sleep onset. So you're not going to feel as tired and as much like going to bed, but it's also a powerful antioxidant. And it's really important for health. And we know that when we look at research around shift workers, for example, they, they seem to be at an increased risk of chronic diseases because of those, those shift patterns. And so having circadian alignment is so, so important. That's why it's the first pillar in shift because sleep is fundamental to our health. So I think really what we want to do is how can we, and I'm happy to talk about it, how can we optimize these rhythms because they're so fundamental to human health so that we don't have elevated cortisol all of the time. So we're not impacting melatonin and recovery.
0: Yeah, no, that's very valid. And I once read that uh, people who have disturbed sleep are more likely to develop Alzheimer's in the future in old age because you need that recovery time. Angela, what's the things that you've introduced in your life that have made a massive impact on, on your health?
1: So for me, um, that's a great question. I think that morning exercise has been a really big thing. So obviously, I had a long period of mental health issues. um, And it wasn't until towards the end of 2019, just before COVID hit, that I transitioned fully off all medication. Um, And that took some time and it was against the advice of my psychiatrist who actually thought I would be on bipolar meds for the rest of my life. And so that took some work. And I would say that Yes, I did do a lot of um, therapy in terms of like analyzing and understanding my thoughts and creating more empowering thought happens, thought patterns. I did a lot of work about how I could step into my future self. But also I began to really understand the link between the body and mind. And I think often we think I must change my thoughts to change my life. And yes, that's true. But we forget that our physiology impacts our psychology, perhaps even more than our psychology impacts our physiology. And so I think sometimes using the body to access what you want in the mind can be even more powerful. And for me, that's been a daily practice of movement first thing. Now, that doesn't mean I have to go and hit it super hard uh, every single day. That's not the case at all. I will vary, you know, whether I'm doing some aerobic exercise, whether it's gentle on zone two, whether I'm doing some high intensity, whether I'm lifting, whether I'm doing yoga, whether I'm doing stretching, whether it's sauna, but I will do some form of movement. You know, it could be walking every single morning. And I find that has been probably the most fundamental thing alongside meditation that's
0: really shifted my state. And being honest with yourself, When do you still have days, I mean, in entrepreneurship, I feel like we have this all the time, days where you don't feel enough, where you, you get in a negative spiral or your stress is starting to get out of control. And if you do have still have those moments, how do you how do you quickly shift your physiology or your mindset so that you can you
1: can push forward? That's such a good question. So, I mean, I think yes is the answer. We all do. Right. And I think this is the thing, you know, Byron Katie talks about the work. She was hugely influential to me um, when I was improving my mental health. Right. And I can still go back to what she does there and analyzing our thoughts and asking, you know, who would I be without this thought? That's such a powerful question um, to ask yourself. And I think all of us feel like that. The answer is it takes daily work and it takes practice. And the, the way that I've learned the best way to do it is really to let my future self determine my present and so the more that i can step into her and the woman that i want to be and i'm never going to arrive there because she's going to change every time i get better right because you just want to elevate and grow throughout your life so it's something that it but it allows me to call myself to a higher standard in each situation and to ask myself the question you know when i'm with my kids what kind of mom do i want to be it helps you become super intentional and how do i want them to remember me like what does my how does my future self judge me in this situation and how can i bring the best part of me and if I can't, and I'm feeling really down because I struggled for many, many years, it took me after coming off meds, another, I would say it wasn't until halfway through last year, really, that I stopped waking up feeling depressed. It took a very long time, you know, it was a, a kind of uh, a 10 year journey of medication, or no, sorry, seven year journey of medication, and then about another eight years to kind of trust. It's a long time, that's 15 years. And I think that, um, so if I'm feeling like that, then I think, well, how can I move this situation along? How can I move the needle? What activity is going to move my mental health into a more empowering state? And most times that's exercise. Sometimes if I'm exhausted, actually it's meditation first. It might be some breath work, for example. It might be just running a cold bath and jumping straight in it. Do you know what I mean? And that releases loads of dopamine. But I think having those tools available and understanding about yourself, how can I shift my mental state and using your physiology to do that? Because otherwise you can just end up too caught up in your head. The other thing is journaling. Like that's amazing as well. Just writing things down. Because the moment you put something on
0: paper, you remove, you sort of put the problem outside of yourself. And that's really powerful too. Absolutely, thank you for sharing that. I love that you said about setting intention. So, how do you intentionally want to show up here as well? I think that's that's very powerful to me. Is saying how do I want to show up right now? How do how do I want to be as a mum? How do I want to be in this space in this time? So, thank you for sharing that. Um, I guess we would like to know more. So, how do we find out more about your work? Thank you. Um, so, I
1: guess there's a few places. Um, if you want to kind of find out where you are on shift, then definitely go and do our quiz. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and we'll send you an email with a personalised report. And that's over at yourtotalhealthcheck.com. Um, and then uh, to connect with me, I'm probably most active on Instagram, which is Angela S Foster. And then if you want to listen to uh, to the podcast, it's the High Performance Health Podcast, uh, where we publish twice a week. So. There's lots of content on there. But yeah, I mean, connect with me on social. I love connecting with people. Send me a DM. um, It's just always nice. You know, my mission really, ever since I managed to get my health back on track, has been to help other women do the same and avoid burnout and really step into the best version of themselves. And so, um, yeah, I just want to help as many people do that as I can.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show, Angela. Thank you for having me. Okay, we've all been there where we've listened to something that's absolute gold, but we've just not implemented it. We're probably all reading the self-help books, but no, we're not implementing something from every single book. But I want you to stop right here. I want you to assess what you have just heard and decide right now what implementation you're going to make to try and improve and optimize your health. Because let's face it, there's pointless having all this knowledge if we never apply it to our lives. But also, If you enjoyed this episode, then check out the one with Anthea McCourty. It's episode 18. It's about nourishing the body positively. And then I have a little favor to ask. I'd love to know if you love exploring the exploration of health and mind and body on this podcast. I want you to message me. There's links in the show notes. But... How do you value things first? You know, we talk a lot about money. We talk a lot about business. We're always talking about family and other people. But where does health, mind, body, connection, wellness really fit in in terms of the importance to you? I want to know because... I've learned that it impacts massively on my performance, my state of mind, my positivity, the feeling of control and energy that you bring every single day. Because if you would like more of these experts on, then I will be sure to bring them to you. For now, don't forget to hit that follow, share with anybody you think this would really, really resonate with. And I'll look forward to speaking to you again next week congratulations for showing up and being one of the eight percent that actually turn their dreams into reality i appreciate you for listening and i am committed to helping you improve the quality of your life for more resources make sure you check out the show notes underneath don't forget to hit subscribe and leave me a five-star review and remember you are incredible and if you dream it you can achieve it